Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, and our special contributing co-hosts, Micah Green, and Peter from the Midwest. Welcome back to the show, guys. Hey, uh, I want to give people a visual right now, if I may. Right now, so there's three of us who are sitting in our traditional recording booths, uh, and then we have one member, Peter, who is uh, in a pitch black screen right now, but appearing to be floating on water somewhere <laughs> in the Midwest. Uh, it's very ethereal and very beautiful, and uh, and I know you're on vacation with your family, and I hope it is going well, and uh, I'm lucky to be here with you all tonight. Yeah, no, this is coming in from the lake, uh, the shores of Lake Superior, which are really rocky and really dark, and hopefully I don't fall in. You're not in the water right now, though, are you? No, I'm just up on the shore. Because it's the, bobbing the, around a lot. I think you're in the water. Lake Superior is fucking freezing, like, yeah. year-round, so there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> just cooling in a floaty, you know. <laughs> With a pina colada. This is the five-year anniversary, just about, I mean, we're a few days late, but the five-year anniversary of the release of Blade Runner 2049, a very momentous film for us, for this podcast. It was one of the reasons why we started this show, and it's the show that I started with Patrick, as opposed to Perfect Organism, which I had started two years before. It's just, it was just a really special time, a really special six to seven, maybe probably a good solid year of us exploring this film as a new podcast, as still somewhat new friends. And we felt like it was appropriate to come together and talk about this and celebrate this film. And there's a lot to talk about and just kind of see how it, how it's landed five years later. You know, for me, 2049 will always be tied to this podcast and the experience of starting this. Those early days where, um, you know, we were really like grasping for information and reporting on it. And uh, and there were articles coming out in places like Wired Magazine that were really, really cool and giving us all these glimpses behind the scenes. And this, of course, was happening in the immediate aftermath of Arrival coming out. So we had this like, you know, blueprint for what Denny Villeneuve could do with science fiction that was really, really thrilling. So that gave me a lot of confidence and Shoulder of Orion gave me a lot of um, enthusiasm in general for this project. So like getting to be there during those formative months, really, yeah, well, that was such a special time. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll chime in here. Um, for me, it was, it was sort of wild in that, you know, 2019, and I think this is the case for a lot of people, and we've talked about this a hundred times over, it seems so, sorry if it's repeating, but I mean, for me, and I think a lot of fans, 2019 was a little more of a, a personal experience, sort of a inward looking and also just sort of a, a time when a lot of that fandom, and you've done great jobs on the show covering it, you know, is more so less internet, more sort of uh, periodicals or zines or other ways to learn about the movie where, um, so that was my experience, I guess, with the Blade Runner for a long time. And then, you know, in a little bit, we'll, we'll pass it again around to each other talking about our first times viewing this, but it wasn't until 
you know, 2049 came out that I had started searching out. There's got to be other people into this and happened upon you guys. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a strange uh, sort of door opening uh, more than just a movie experience. Um, so for me, I was completely new to the whole world of Blade Runner when I saw 2049. Not that I hadn't seen Blade Runner before. I'd seen Blade Runner a couple of times, um, but I hadn't quite yet been fully immersed into the world. I don't think I let that happen for some reason. I don't know why exactly. That's something that might be kind of interesting for me to just like think about myself, but I hadn't really fallen in love with the world until I saw 2049 five years ago. And I don't know. I, I don't know why that movie in particular made the world click into focus for me, but it really, really did. And then from then on, I had been kind of, um, I wanted to watch 2019 again. I wanted to just learn more about the universe. And then when you guys started your podcast, I just kept listening and I would be talking while I was listening to to the podcast. And Patrick, you're like, we're not even like pausing it. Like we need to pause it so you can say your point. But then um, you guys graciously invited me on and I just really love, I found I just really could talk for hours about this and I love doing that. So it's just like 2049 was the sort of impetus for me to really fully step into that world and allow it to fully submerge me, if you will, into it. And I, I like adore that movie forever for that. And just like back to those those early early days of the show starting, you know, Jamie and I, we we get to we've had some opportunities to report on like genuinely new things before that were coming down the pipeline and then kind of celebrating them, but like they all completely pale in comparison to 2049 coming out because of all that was riding on it and the completely like unexpected nature of it actually because you know there had been news here and there getting leaked since 2016 2015 that this might be happening. But then like we saw the trailer and it was like immediate confirmation that this was actually coming and that it had this incredible, you know, A-list, um, you know, stars and crew attached to it. And uh, and so then we got this this beautiful, like like you were saying, Jamie, like year-long roll-up to the release of the film that gave us a lot of time, I think, to investigate why 2019 is so seminally important for so many of us. So when I look back at 2049 coming out, some of my favorite memories are all of those episodes that we did where we asked for feedback from listeners and we got a lot of voice messages, which was really fun. And we got to, um, you know, just meet people all over the world who, you know, we weren't really friends with before the show for many, many of us, as opposed to alien fandom, you know, where we were already kind of very embedded just as, you know, ourselves in that. And especially you with Perfect Organism before I was there, but also just on, you know, we were already on forums together and places like William Dutani Bolton. Blade Runner, like that, that was like a, not a fandom that I was a part of until this podcast. It was it was a it was a thing that I was always a fan of, but I, I didn't really have a community to, to you know associate it with. So like 2049 was significant in and of itself, but it was also significant for me because it was like a, a homecoming to something really really special. And I still you know when when I watch it to this day, I cannot separate it from that experience from like how special that was, and then the fact that it delivered on that, which we'll get to momentarily, like the fact that it came out and it was every bit as miraculous as I could have dreamed it could have been. And it was like one of those impossibilities that happens a few times in your life. I mean, like I I I can't think of another movie that I would have 
been that excited to see a sequel do well for. Like, there's no other movie for me like that because the original was so special. And then this sequel was so special, too. So, yeah, it's a very, it's a very important time in my life. Yes, definitely. And I, I would say I would reflect a lot of what Micah says in terms of what 2049 did for me and how it recontextualized the original. I'd always loved the original, but the characters became more alive in the original because of 2049. My love of Rachel and my, uh, I don't know how much I see, how much I'd seen myself in her at that point really transpired because of 2049. And for me, I know, Peter, you talked about the original being more of a personal film. For me, the sequel is the more personal film. The sequel spoke to me more than the original ever did. Um, in, 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 a, in emotional language, I would say the original spoke to me in an, an aesthetic, artistic language in, in terms of what we're seeing, the sights, the sounds, the score, whereas the sequel was far more of an internal story going on, the life of this, this replicant named Kay. And they just worked beautifully together and they just fired off of each other. And even though the world in 2049 felt so different, it also felt familiar enough as well. There was enough there to make me realize, okay, I'm home. This is the world that I had, had been in before. It's a little bit different, but it's the same world. And, uh, I, I, I will never forget, of course, that first screening. I'll never forget hearing about Patrick's curtains being on fire in England in his hotel room. <laughs> um, and Patrick, I think you had a cold or something, but you're trying to get back to see the movie in the theater. And we ended up seeing it on the same day within, we were both at this theater at the same time within like, like 40 minutes. Within or like something. 40 minutes, like 40 yeah. minutes, 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So like we're ch we're chatting with each other. We know that this is happening. We, and I think that there was some drama with your flight. You didn't know if you're going to get back in time to catch the movie. Yeah, Mike, I had to land the plane or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was really annoying. Like they had to bring me in, and I was like, oh, I guess fine. I'll land the plane for you. And then she's like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> just 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 briefly on that the, uh, i'm glad that you're bringing up all of the calamities that kept happening because that that i really almost caught the hotel on fire like people don't realize <laughs> that we were recording this episode and i was trying to make it soundproof in my hotel room and it was like the electricity to my room went out because it like literally lit on fire pretty terrifying but hey that's the sacrifices we make here at shoulder of orion to bring you a good soundproof product but the airplane that still to this day is the only time this has ever happened to me it was a it was a go around so we landed on the tarmac at boston logan the wind shifted and it tilted the plane and they powered up and took off again i said and i was sorry okay <laughs> yeah could have done a better job on me but, you know, since since then, I've brought this up with Dan. And also keep in mind, during this, I was watching the theatrical cut of Blade Runner because it was available on the airplane. So I was watching the ending of that movie, which is like one of my favorite endings of anything. And the plane is like, you know, going wild. And I'm like, oh, man, we're going to make it. But I did make it back. So go ahead, Jamie. Sorry. No, that's, that's great. I mean, again, those memories, those communications, just everything that was going on in our lives as we kind of journeyed into the theater to see this film and of course we had dan ferlito who was on the show at that wait 
No, he was not, was he? He was not on the show. At he was point. not on the show. But Ryan Zaid was on the show. Ryan Zaid was, yes, which we, I appreciate. And we miss you, Ryan Zaid, if you're listening. But this show really was the catalyst to Dan coming on coming on as a regular host for like two years. I think he was on the show, which was really, really fantastic. But more importantly, it was the experience of the film and how profoundly it affected me and still does. I watched it about three nights ago and again, just completely transported and transfixed like I had never seen it before. Very rare. It's very rare for me to have a film that I can watch again and feel like I've never seen it before. I don't know what it is about 2049 that does this for me. I don't know if this is the same for you guys, but there's something about this film that speaks to the intimate parts of my soul. And, uh, I, I still can't believe it exists. And, uh, you know, I, those, you know, there are of course moments, everyone has their moment in the film, the moment where, you know, you see joy and, um, uh, Mary Mariette's fingers in the back of Kay's head, and then it cuts to Joy on the billboard, and just the way the music is is surging, and just oh, it's just pure Blade Runner. Like that's a moment for me that just really, really sticks out. But again, to pull back, I I just I'm continually excited that this film is in the world, and that not just that, but in many. F- for all intents and purposes, we are friends because of this film. I mean, Patrick and Mike and I, of course, we, we, um, we kind of met through Perfect Organism and that was great, but I really feel like this solidified things. You know, it's just, it was, it's just been a really wonderful ride so far. Can I just jump off of something you said earlier, Jamie, um, about like how it really made the first film even more special for you? Um, I think because I feel the same exact way, like, one thing that sticks out to me, like really every single time I watch either film now with 2049 in the world, um, it's just how little I cared about Deckard when I first saw Blade Runner 2019, and then how much I cared about Deckard after I saw 2049. Um, and like this, we we get this opportunity with 2049 to see how Deckard lives with the lessons of 2019 and how he has changed. And I, I'm trying to think of another film where you get to see that, like where you get to see how um, a beloved character who goes on like such an epic journey of being shown what it means to be a human. And then the movie ends, but then now you get this opportunity to see where that took him and what happened to him following those events. And I think that's really special. And very rare and part of the mystique of the movie for me, too. I also watch it every single time and I'm like, oh, my God, I never saw that before. Or I didn't pay attention to the music cue there or something like that. It's just the world is so solid. And we four have talked about this before, about world building and how how immersive it can really be. And this is one of those movies that just, you know, that's it. That's that should be the bar for all film films if they're trying to make something that's very grounded in in its own universe no yeah i think it's uh, you know what everyone's saying is is everything i'm i'm feeling and and have always felt for the movie too but you know going back to my original viewing it it has a very interesting place in that i had not seen anything uh, regarding it no trailer no nothing i didn't even know who was in it um just happened to be home it had been out for some time now um happened to be home um visiting my parents and went out with a friend and he was basically like, Hey, you know, we're not meeting up with anyone for 
four hours want to go see Blade Runner 2049. And I said, yeah, sure. Not even really knowing anything about it, which in and of itself is, you know, a, a small miracle these days. And even back then too. Um, and it was, it, it meant a lot to me. It, it was a friend, uh, I'll just, you know, Michael Shannon O'Keefe. I've known him since seventh grade, went to the same, you know, all boys Catholic military school together, went through a lot of, you know, shared experiences and just one of those friends that you see every, what, three, four, five years, maybe. But every time you see him, it's like no time has passed, but also a ton of time has passed. So a lot of that coalesced with, you know, seeing Deckard again on screen and a lot of other stuff, memories of my dad, um, things like that. But it was just one of those things where saw the movie, knew nothing about it. And I think I've described several times on here that just when it ended, I, I couldn't even get out of my seat. I felt heavy. I felt attached. I felt anchored. I don't know what other words to use to the movie itself that when it was over, it was just like, nope, I'm not leaving. Let's do that all again. And um, again, you know, the first movie was a little more personal in that I didn't really share thoughts about it with anyone. Or, you know, you'd watch it with friends, but no one would have any discussions about it. Um, but then after 2049, I just, I remember going out that night with the other friends that we met up with, and I just couldn't stop talking to anyone about Blade Runner. And no one seemed interested enough, but I was just like, this is not satisfying my need to talk about this. Where else can I go? And I think I'd already been listening to Perfect Organism at that point. And just for some random reason, figured out maybe Jamie referenced Short Over Ryan. And I was just like, holy shit, there's an entire show where people talk about this all the time. And then I'll, I'll pass it off here in a second. But just a lot of what Micah said and, and, and Jamie and Patrick, all everyone's just kind of, you know, talking about the little bits that stuck with them. And in that initial viewing for me, it was, you know, okay. It was a really stressful time um, at work for me. It was a lot of driving through Midwest. Um, rural communities, a lot of driving through farms. And so it was always felt like that first initial scene, Kay going over the LA farms, it was me driving through the Midwest farms. And there were just certain scenes in that, you know, almost asleep at the wheel, just kind of doing this mundane task. And it was just like, oh man, so much of it connected with me. And I think, you know, in one of those episodes, you guys had the call number and it just felt like I was always in the spinner those days. So I just started calling from it. And it was just, I didn't, you know, you guys could have been robots, automatons, automatons, whatever. But it was just a number I called in. It felt like checking in and it was just, it sort of got the bug going. And now here I am talking about it as a normal, you know, contributing host. So for me, and this will continue through the rest of this episode too, but for me, it's just a lot of it. I can't shake loose, you know, the friendships I made with all four of you through the other hosts and other guests that we've been on together. Um, so every time I watch it, it's, it's not only it's a home, for the movie and that world, but it's also just, you know, it's where you get to see all your friends and kind of hang out in the world. I can't shake, you know, anytime the scene where um, love opens the, the giant door. And I just remember an episode, an early Mike episode where she just loved the fact that, you know, she love would always kind of shrink herself, kind of make herself less than. And even when she just moves this door that, you know, no human could budge. And she's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, still tries to make a little kind of excuse about it, not trying to show off or anything. So anyways, but yeah, so I, it, it's firmly rooted, um, although 2049 is probably the most personal of the movies as far as what I feel when I watch it. 
it's the first movie where I first started, I guess, sharing those and talking about those things with people. So it's it's been a great awakening, much like Kay. Oh, there's so much great stuff in there, Peter. Um, the least of which not being the fact that you went to an all-male boys Catholic military school. <laughs> I had no idea about that. Very interesting. Um, we'll have to yep. return to that at some point. Uh, but I, I think something that you're getting at also, there's a couple things in there. One is like, you know, I feel like I've been friends with you for forever. Like, I feel like I was in seventh grade with you, you know, when you were talking. Um, but, uh, but I wasn't. We only known each other for a few years. And it's explicitly because of this, this podcast. And I remember all those early messages that you used to leave. And we were like, who is this guy? Like, this is like, you had such great stuff to say. You were just driving in your car for what seemed like all day long um, and like catching up on episodes and, and calling in. And that experience was amazing for me. You know, perfect organism. We get a lot of like, you know, listener mail, um, but it, it's not the same type of mail that we get for Shoulder of Orion. You know, uh, we get some absolutely like really deeply heartfelt, emotional, um, confessional stuff from people. And it's because of the places that the films, you know, take us to like, it's, that's the sort of nature of those conversations. But like, I mean, Dan was also one of those people, Dan, you know, was somebody who was just writing into us over and over again, listening to episodes. And and we were like, you know, he's great. We should have him on the show. And Dan is another person like, you know, although he's not on this podcast anymore, I can't picture my life without Dan Ferlito in it. Um, he's still a great friend of ours. And there's many people like that. This community that has sprung up around the film has been really, really uh, inspirational to me. And it's also, I think, the community, part of what's been interesting with Shoulder of Orion vis-a-vis 2049 is that there's a community around Shoulder of Orion that has also sprung up, largely because I think so many of us were just Blade Runner fans were just sort of floating around out there. You know, there there were places like Blade Zone, you know, like Peter was mentioning zines earlier. Um, there there were o- online places to congregate, but they hadn't really um, coalesced or they were kind of in a quieter state. And I feel like we had this amazing opportunity to where I really felt like we were um, like at the heart of it as this was happening. It really felt like I, I still remember I got chills the first time I saw the Blu-ray of Blade Runner 2049 at a Barnes and Noble. And I remember being like, I feel like I'm a part of that. Like, I feel like I've like, you know, I didn't make it, but I feel like this, the journey of that movie somehow speaks to the journey of our, of our show too. Um, One other thing I want to circle back to that Peter said, uh, it's something that's come up quite a few times when we talk about our first experiences watching 2049, but it is to this day, the only movie where I have been physically incapable of getting up. Like I'm pretty sure Micah had to drag me out of my seat at the end of it. I was breathless. I was ecstatic. I was obviously crying because I cry all the time, but I was really crying. And I was like uh, in a state of just like complete awe. You know, I think a a movie that gets kind of close to that is also Dune, the Denny Villeneuve version of it, where when that ended, I was like, oh, my God, I felt like I've been walloped in the soul by something. But it was different because, you know, I mean, I saw that with Jamie the first time I ever saw it. We, You know, we got up and left. We were like, "Okay, cool. And we talked about it and then kind of gradually started to like it more. You know, I mean, we 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 loved it the first time we saw it, but we had to kind of find our way into it. But with 2049, I felt like I was in on some like sacred tone poem that was like speaking to me and only like I felt like I felt like the movie had been made for me. And um, so my kind of winding way out of this comment is is I'm just so grateful that Denny Villeneuve was the person to pull this together. You know, he's just this filmmaker who we are so lucky to have 
and not just for for those two franchises that I was talking about, but for the whole body of his work, which we've you know gotten to talk about quite a bit in our shows from the past. Um, he really makes movies that speak to us in such a deep, true way. And why? How lucky are we that Blade Runner got that person to direct it, and that it came out every bit as miraculous as he's capable of doing. I still, I still think it's his best movie, which is really saying a lot. So, uh, yeah, just very, very, very excited to have this. I also want to make mention that because of 2049, and then um, consequently the show, we also were able to friend or make friends with people like Dr. Robin Bunce, who Patrick and I have been able to meet in person in England when we've been there. He's just an incredible person all around, but a great guest. And he brings a very different, uh, a different set of insights onto the show when he's here. He hasn't been on the show in a while. Hopefully we're going to remedy that soon, but, and just so many other people I, I, to your point, Peter, I remember, I mean, I remember listening to your, your, messages and just hearing the road like hearing you driving like on the road because you're always on the road and that it feels like just because of the pandemic that feels like it was 20 years ago it was such a different world for us back then um but i'm so appreciative of the friendship that we've made and built and have enriched because of because of the movie really but also because of the show um but again just to kind of get back to the film it's 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 one of those things where, yeah, it's, I, I feel like Dune has slowly, it's interesting because with 2049, it was instant, much like you guys, I didn't want to leave the theater. I was just out of breath by the end of it. And I couldn't believe that it was over. I just couldn't believe it. I didn't want it to be over. I sat there and then I was able to see the film with my father, which was really, really important to me because he is the reason why I love science fiction. And so to be able to sit in the theater and IMAX, which was just huge with my dad and watching this film was just a memory that I will treasure, you know, for the rest of my life. We also saw, I remember we went and saw the matrix in 1999 together. We both walked out of that theater and we were like, Whoa, what did we just see? So to make those ongoing memories with, you know, your parent as an adult is really, really, really great. Um, but this movie is just so, so singular. And again, I, obviously we're not here to talk about Dune, but Dune has been this slow build for me where it was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And now like Dune, like I can't get enough of it. Like it's this spiritual experience that took me a good two or three months to really get to this point where I thought, okay, this is a fucking masterpiece. Uh, but 2049 was just instantaneous. And what was great about 2049 was... We had some issue here and there with certain things, some trepidation, even though we loved the film and we talked about it, like whether it was the Rachel 2.0 scene or the music or or maybe not using gaff enough or what Deckard was wearing or wasn't wearing. We could have those discussions while also still talking about the film, realizing what we've experienced is a once in a lifetime thing. Now we are kind of in the roll up for uh, a a series on Amazon, which is a limited series called Blade Runner 2099 and which a, lo a lot could go wrong with a lot could go wrong with this. Um, it's, it's a scary time, but it's an, it's an exciting time. I don't know if it's going to feel the same. I know for one thing, when it premieres, I am going to fly my ass up to see the, see the show with you guys. But, uh, I just, I can't go on enough about 2049 and, and, what it does for me and how it changes me and how it makes me a better person every time I see it.
Well, it's cool because I feel like 2049 is able to authentically and very powerfully continue the conversation that was begun at the end of 2019 about um, what it really means to be. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the feelings and thoughts that I have when I think about 2049 and I think about watching it, and then I think about just the Blade Runner universe in general. Um, I just think about what it means to be a human and how sharply in focus the replicants have what are the most important things about being alive, you know, like feeling your feelings and and truly being present and appreciating your life and the people around you. And I think it's really, uh, I keep saying rare and I think all of us keep saying rare, but like a movie that's a sequel that is able to continue a conversation that is so important like that, but also add to it and also make you feel even more deeply what you're feeling when you think about that sort of difficult and emotional um, theme that was started in 2019. It's just incredible. And like, I'll echo everybody. I couldn't leave either. And this is as a person who is relatively new to the Blade Runner universe. And I'm sitting there like, oh no, I've just, <laughs> I found something else to be obsessed with now, which is not great because I, I like Patrick I get very obsessed with things and can't stop thinking about them, can't stop talking about them. I will never say no to watching it. Just like I felt the same way with Dune instantly. I feel completely immersed in that world. Never want to stop talking about it. All of those things. And it is <laughs> incidental that Denis Villeneuve is the director of both. So clearly he's our people. But all this to say, it's just, it's, it's, miraculous and it's hard to talk about because it's like it's really hard to adequately describe what these films do for us like we keep going on about the friendships and that is that's like the lesson there right like that's the most important thing and it's it is incredible um to be such a part of it and i'm really thankful to have been invited on the show a bunch of times and to have been able to express myself and to talk about issues that are just kind of laid out on the table with these films. So it, it's really special that we have these films to talk about the hard stuff, but also like what incredible sci-fi and what incredible world building. Again, I'll go back to that. It's just all around a good experience. And there are not many films or franchises that can say that. I think Blade Runner 2049 took on an even greater importance during the pandemic. We started seeing the film through a different lens. Right away, of course, when the film came out in 2017, of course, this was a little bit less than three years or two years and some months before the pandemic really struck. But then once the pandemic did strike and we were all at home and we were all isolated in our own ways, whether you were isolated with your children or with your spouse or whatever, we were all going through this very tough time as a community of people, even all over the world, because most people all over the world were all in lockdown. And then there was fires that were happening at the, at, you know, at the time. And there was a lot of references to 2049. And it really brought the film into this place that it took the original many years to get to. People were talking about Blade Runner 2049 in a way that, oh shit, this is real now. And, and, and not just because of the fires and, you know, that orange glow in San Francisco and then also in Australia. Of course, Blade Runner 2049 was the reference, but. There was something deeper going on, and also it was a film that we pivoted around during 
during the like 2020, 2021, we had um, a series of kind of live shows, kind of call-in shows. People could we invited anyone on who wanted to come, and I think they were called Interlinked, and it was just kind of this place for. I think we were doing it once a week for like a good three or four months, something like that, and it was just a place for people to come and talk about what was going on in their lives, and it was all ensconced around these two films but i feel like more specifically 2049 where you have these films that ask us what is it like to be human what does it mean to be human how does that how does that look in your life and here we were a community of humans all in lockdown trying to figure out how do we still be human in this situation and in my opinion at least for me 2049 was really a a pathway to that to exploring my humanity more. And uh, it was a tool for people to come together around and like, hey, how, how are you seeing this film? What's hitting you differently now that we're in lockdown? What's hitting you differently now that there's this this threat out there, which anyone can, you know, be anyone can be a threat to you. And again, it was just this very difficult time, but it was also very, it was a very magical time as well. And I really, really appreciate you guys for being there during that time. And Dan, of course, he was a mainstay for us at that, at that, at that moment in our history. Uh, but again, I, I just go back to 2049 and how the movie has really become a bridge. It's become a bridge because of some world events for us to kind of see ourselves a little bit better through. Um, but with that said, I feel like we probably should move on just with, a, with, with a question. And I'd set up some, I offered some ideas about structure for this episode, but I felt like it was a good way for us to kind of move through. And I think the question for everyone is, how is the film aged in five years? And I feel like in some ways we've answered that, but in some ways talking about the film specifically, has it aged? Is it, is it getting better? I mean, I know for me it has been, and I have some specifics, but I'll just throw that out there. I, I can say for, for me, it has 100% only improved with time, which is pretty surprising considering i already considered it to be essentially a faultless movie before this but you know i I think a lot about what you're saying about world events reshaping and recontextualizing this film uh it's not like i didn't already understand those themes when it came out it's not like i wasn't already kind of seeing it through that lens but i don't think i was anticipating that the lens i was looking through was going to become the lens i was stuck in you know that was a really pivotal thing for me especially in regards to deckard because like everybody on the show he's never really been like the heart and soul of blade runner you know for me uh although i agree with what micah is saying i think you elucidated that really well is that like 2049 gave him a foothold in my heart in a way that 2019 did not but likewise what happened to the world after 2049 came out gave uh gave him uh you know even more of a foothold for me and i think part of it's because we see this guy who is like kind of the most extreme example of what we were living through right like he was somebody who was truly cut off from the world and truly isolated living in an irradiated environment a, a place that was full of danger who lost so many things you know something that uh my therapy has shown me quite a bit during covid is that it's important to grieve and it's easy to miss when you're supposed to do that. And for me, like, I, I mean, I, I had some se- severe mental health struggles during COVID and I continue to, you know, I feel the ramification, the fallout from that today sometimes. Um, but a lot of it came from this idea that life changed and I didn't even notice that it had 
been changed until it was too late. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm just trying to keep a brave face for my children and I'm trying to make sure that we still have, you know, income and that your Mike is finishing school and that we're going to be okay and trying to like get activities for the family to do. And meanwhile, you know, I was living in a world where I, I went for 33 years of my life, almost constantly singing, uh, you know, professionally. Uh, and all of a sudden I went to a world where that was ne never going to happen again, for, for, as far as I could tell, you know, uh, like it just, you no, know, nobody was singing in public anymore, which is one very specific, small example, but like a lot of those things kind of added up for me and, you know, created this, this real kind of mental health block. And I think, uh, something that's been helpful for me in dealing with that is learning that I should be grieving those things because the act of doing that is the act of recognizing that they were there in the first place, right? And with Deckard, I think what we see is a man who was never able to grieve because things were just stripped from him and his life was completely upended and he did the best that he could to ensure the survival of his child. And then he moved out and he just cut himself off from the world. And he's still living in that act of loss when we find him in 2049. He's not done with it yet. He hasn't been set free from it. He's still stuck in it. So I think that Deckard's journey in 2049 spoke to me hugely in the in a, in a post-COVID world. And I think that there's also just aesthetic things that speak to me a lot about it nowadays that have come up in a couple of places. But, you know, the ways in which people are isolated architecturally from each other in 2049 is really important, I think. The ways in which people are living, you know, crammed together in the same place, but completely separate from one another emotionally like those are just those are themes that I continue to see play out in the world as we become more isolated and as we become as we increasingly find it harder to communicate with one another um, in an authentic way. Twenty forty nine just continues to speak to me in such deep ways. No, I I think that's all. Just yeah, it's it, it's a perfect example um, for me. It's continued its strength in that those themes live, but you 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 find them in new places in the movie. Um, for me, you know, my initial, uh, I guess, interest or initial emotional grab was to Kay and through a lot of, you know, especially the Dr. Celine scenes um, where Kay sort of realizes, you know, in, in my perception, um, at least at that time, you know, there, there's no going back. There's you, you've you've done this. You've made that emotional journey and, you know, there's no way to, to go back to normal now. You've either you, you've you've felt enough that you can't go back to that to that ability before to sort of stay that constant. Okay, and you know, Patrick, your I guess your openness and your your ability to sort of freely describe your I think your therapy helps a lot for I think probably a lot of listeners. Um, I know it does for me too, just to hear about sort of things that that you've been able to unlock or. I don't know if that's fair to say, but, you know, I don't know exactly how to describe it other than just the fact that there's things that you're exploring still. And I think that's one of the best things that 2049 does is it gives that room to continue to explore both the movie. You know, there's there's characters that'll pop out to you on on, on recent viewings um, that never before, um, you know, again, prior for me, um, Kay was always a big interest. Uh, Neander is still someone who I I love talking about him. I refuse in my head canon um, to, to acknowledge Black Lotus and the discussion of weird emo goth Neander as a child. Um, but to me, you know, he's an interesting character of, you know, is he someone that 
did in fact save the world? What are his intentions? What were his intentions at that time? And are they still, you know, in some way, I guess, for the good of humanity, I guess, how you want to describe that. But, you know, and I sometimes see ties to him in a very odd way as a father of, of several children. And, you know, there's, there's each child is different and there's ways that you wish you could, you know, in, in no simple terms, you know, control, you know, what they're going to do, what's going to happen to them. Um, but that's all out of your control. And I, you know, sort of see meanders journey as someone who doesn't want to lose that control over the things that he creates. Um, Dr. Staline is someone who's in more recent viewings continues to stand out. Um, a scene that, you know, I guess I acknowledged it early um, in viewings, but now it just blows my mind. And I love to pause it every time, but just, you know, in the memory viewing scene where Kay's viewing it, but the reflection shows her behind him as if she's, you know, just standing there with him watching her own memory again. Um, and that hits me just as raw as the first time seeing it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And I'd, I'd love hearing your guys' discussion of, of how it struck you different in, in, in COVID and isolation. For me, um, I guess, and part of my personality is, you know, I guess I don't bring that into the movie, but it's fun to see it under that lens. Um, but more importantly, again, just bringing it all back to the initial discussion, which is, again, my favorite part of all this is just the fact that it unlocked that, I guess, desire in me to talk about um, the things I feel and the things I feel when I particularly am in this universe, because I think it sets it up in such a way that, you know, allows us to to be there. And, you know, sort of like Mike was talking about, um, just the replicants and our humanity. And if we don't talk about it or sort of join that with at least some of the people that you love and love to spend time or talk with, then it can be gone or taken from you really, you know, abruptly. So, Ooh, well, I mean, like many of us, I, I like to use this movie to escape. Um, but just listening to you guys talk about it, it gave a few ideas of, of some, some contextualization of 2049 in a post pandemic COVID world. I mean, like in the beginning of the pandemic, when we were all scared and we all didn't know what was going on, um, like Patrick said, I was still in school. We were trying to figure out how to teach our kids at home. I was still trying to teach myself the very last half of my final nursing school semester. And it just was incredibly overwhelming. Um, but then going forward, I was thinking when you were speaking about Neander Wallace, Peter, um, and him being like a world saver with his his method of feeding everybody it's it's now striking me a little bit about like how in the very beginning of the pandemic and like moving through looking around desperately for someone to do that for someone to step up and save us and um as a brand new nurse i was going to work every day and um coming home terrified that I was going to do something to make my family sick or, or like worse. So I was like kind of stepping into this world in a new profession that I just graduated from in like something that hadn't been experienced before by our generation at all. Um, so it's interesting now that I think about myself back then, it's kind of like when Kay is first off of his baseline and it's incredibly overwhelming for him. Like if someone were to give me a baseline test back then, I would have failed right away and been decommissioned because I felt 
completely overwhelmed and like I was drowning every day at work because, you know, it was scary. COVID was everywhere and there was no vaccine and we were all looking around for someone. And I remember I kept thinking like, someone's got to do this soon. I don't know how long we can continue in this dark space where everyone is completely isolated and scared. And I remember just being like, (laughs) none of us are okay. Um, We all have to put on that brave face and go to work and go to school and be strong for our children. Um, But there's, there was like a huge part of us, I think um, in that time frame that was kind of like Kay just realizing that the world is broken and it's it's an incredibly overwhelming feeling and it's an incredibly sad feeling and it's an incredibly scary feeling and I think about um just like being off your baseline and having other people notice it and I can really relate to that um for that time that was crazy. Um and on like sort of like um I don't know how to say this but like on on a more literal level when, when I think about sort of, if I think about our world in a a more negative way, I can kind of see parallels between the universe of of Blade Runner 2019 and 2049 and just like the environmental stuff that's going on. Um, Like how there are these forest fires that are raging on and there's the ocean is literally drying up and the icebergs are all melting and all those scary things um, about climate change and and all that stuff that's really really actually happening in front of our eyes right now, and it's just like you think, oh, that world is not like that's a scary thing when you watch the fields that Sapper works in every day to try to find little worms for protein. Where you're like, well, actually, you know, that isn't that far away from where we're headed if we continue to to kind of play around with mother nature in that way. Um, so there's like, it's a, it's a very interesting conversation. And I don't think I have recontextualized 2049 that much with what's going on currently versus what was going on then when we first saw the movie. So it's really cool to think about that. Um, and to kind of compare myself as like a baby nurse kind of struggling, drowning in a pandemic and not knowing what to do or what to tell my patients or like if I come home and don't completely decontaminate myself, am I gonna get am I gonna get my children sick or my husband sick or my family sick? So yeah, it was dark and it was isolating and it was overwhelming. And um 2049 definitely has those moments very real for us there. I think it's in terms of like, I mean, the the earlier question, like, does it hold up? But I think like with all amazing art, it changes. It changes with the time, like, because it's alive. That's when you know art is really working, in my opinion. Um, now there's the question of good art versus bad art, but whatever. For me, Blade Runner 2049 is something that's alive and that continues to be alive. And I think about, um, what was going on in 2020, not just the pandemic, but we had a whole entire explosion of civil rights, of civil rights movement. Um, it was historical. There's nothing, there had not, not been anything like it since the 60s. It was really powerful, but it was all centered around one small idea. How do we treat it? How do we treat each other? And I remember when, um, the, the shorts came out for, before Blade Runner 2049, and I, one of them was an anime called Blackout, Blade Runner Blackout, or I think it was just called Blackout, right? Um, and, and there's a, there's a moment in that anime where you see these actual people, 
abusing this replicant and kind of beating her bloody and just not treating her really well. And I can never shake how um, real that was for us in our own lives, what we were seeing transpire on TV. And for me, the best question that Blade Runner asks of me is how do I be a better person? How do I treat people better? How do, how do we show empathy? And um, Peter, you brought up a very interesting moment with Kay and you said you almost felt gutted like Kay thought he was the one he thought he was special but the brilliance of it for me for that film is and we've had these discussions in different forms Kay was special and it did had nothing to do with him being Deckard and Rachel's son or not his 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 agency was born out of doing the right thing his agency came from understanding what it was to be human, understanding what that meant. And it had nothing to do with him being engineered or however they're made. Um, and that continues to resound like a, a bell, like a gong. Like it's just, it's so loud for me. Um, this, the discovery of his humanity helped him also help Deckard rediscover Deckard's humanity. And that's such a beautiful thing. And it continues to just sit in me. So beautifully and challenging too. Like, how do you be better? And I think we're all, we all ask ourselves that question, especially as parents, because your mistakes are, are, are on display. You can make a mistake, you know, whatever you can maybe say the wrong thing to a friend and it's not that big a deal. But if you do that with your child, the consequences are much deeper because children understand things in a much different way than we do as adults. Um, and so Blade Runner is always asking us to be the better angels of our nature, um, which is interesting because, of course, the term angel is used in the film. It's almost a pejorative in some ways. Like, And there's that uh, the short film called Nexus Dawn with Neander and one of his replicants sitting and talking with some people, whoever they were. It's not that great of a, it's not that great of a short, but the ideas were really, 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 really interesting. Um but again, I just kind of want to bring this back to how important that question will always be for us as, as people who can look at it. How do we be better people? What does it mean to be better humans? What does that mean in your life? What does that mean in your friendships? And uh, Blade Runner, yeah, it's both films for sure, but certainly 2049 is, is the pinnacle for me, um, which kind of leads us into probably our final round of discussion before we close it's kind of where does the story go for blade runner and if anyone wants has anything else to say before we talk about that that's fine i just thought it would be great to kind of move us along but um we're at the precipice of a new series they just announced that they're in pre-production they're shooting part of it in ireland part of it in australia it's supposed to be a pretty big production um and of course the question in my mind is and it's supposed to be a sequel series to the first two films. So where does it go from here? Was Blade Runner 2049 a, a completed story? And in some ways, I feel like, yes, it was. That The story is over. As far as we're concerned, whatever happens between Deckard and his daughter is not for us to know. That's for history. Um, so I, I'm curious. What do you guys think? I, I think I hope it's not for us to know. I, I think that, that hints at something that worries me somewhat, which is that... Um, you know, we're watching this be turned into a real franchise now, and franchises love to fill in canon and give us exposition and answers to things. And Blade Runner has really always thrived on a lack of those things. 
So I really hope we don't get like, oh, you know, 30 years later, Celine did X and Deckard, you know, was blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I really hope that this gives us a window into like a side narrative that shares world events with the previous films. But other than that, it's pretty separated from them. You know, I think we have some templates of how they can work in the comics, especially, which have been uni- uniformly fantastic. But uh, it's a tall order for a television series on a major streaming platform that, you know, can't really afford to lose money, um, you know. I'm kind of asking it to risk losing money because I, I'm kind of asking it to risk losing, you know, viewers like somewhat. Like I don't think this is something that everybody should watch and be putting pieces together and be like, oh, so it's it's about this. This should be something where some people find it inscrutable and some people say like, yeah, maybe it wasn't really for me. You know, it was a weird one. Um, so yeah, I think that the story will really thrive if it's treated as something that continues to be mysterious, continues to leave a lot of room for our own subjective selves to watch it. And I think um, just in, in terms of physically where the story can go, I would love to see more novels. You know, we haven't had any of them in, since like, you know, 20 years ago. But I think that, you know, as we've seen Titan do really well with the Alien books, you know, I mean, we get tons of novels for Alien all the time. I can't even keep up with them. And uh, it would be nice to get some some new fiction in the Blade Runner universe as well. I, I think that'd be really cool. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my closing thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll I'll do a little bit of a bridge from what Jamie was talking about to um, then Patrick. Um, I think as far as sort of the my my today's thought, if you were to ask me today um, what I thought about 49, 2049 versus um, years ago, would be you know a lot of what I think Jamie's so greatly put on um, Kay's journey, and yeah, he's not special because he's and he was never special because he was the one or the child, um, the impossible, the wall-breaking child. Um, but I, I, I love the fact that, you know, what he, what really brought him off his baseline on um, what really sort of showed him to be the, the, the person that he was is that he, he walked in someone else's experiences. He thought they were his, but the moment he realized that he has been experiencing what someone else experienced and had that bit of empathy with Dr. Celine and her scenario, how she was raised and, you know, had to pretend to be a boy just to survive in, in the orphanage um, and all that. But the moment that he actually had a shared experience with someone is sort of the moment that it, it broke everything for him and that he was able to then do the right thing and do something for someone else, someone who he had absolutely, he found out no connection to. Um, and I think that's part of what I love about this. Part of what I love about these conversations that we have is, is sort of those shared experiences that we all of a sudden realize that we've had. I never knew I thought a lot of these things until I hear Micah say something. I hear Patrick or Jamie describe why they love the movie or love a character or, or view a certain scene. And it's those shared experiences. And again, Jamie's sort of favorite theme, it's it's that empathy. So, you know, Jamie, I just wanted to say, you know, in your last comments there, that just kind of awakened that um, thought in me. So, you know, thank you for that. And thanks for this conversation. Um, and then, yeah, I I'd, I'd echo a lot of what Patrick's saying. Um, I hope in the new series, um, of course, I want to see cool stuff. We all do. We want to see spinner designs. I want to see the world. I hope it's more sparse than 2049. I hope that there wasn't some magical being um, that Neander came up with that now suddenly the world is greatly populated and no one wants to go off world all of a sudden, or they go back. Um, I think in some of Jamie's early comments on some of the scenes that he's been able to see of the 
maybe production stills or visual art or some things that have been released. You know, I hope they don't all of a sudden go back to a, a Black Lotus or a, hey, let's live back in 2019 because that's not where we're at. Um, I hope it's it's more desolate. I hope it's more of the environment collapsing in itself. It's more of, hey, you idiots, look what you've done um, and how we survive and how we adapt to that. And, you know, if anything, society should be more apart and there's going to be more people off world and, you know, the people who are left behind are even going to be more distraught and going to be more, quote unquote, the other um, to those who can afford to be off world. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope there's just more, I'm more concerned, I guess, with the world than I am with the characters. I'm with both of you, I think. And the fact that I, I hope there's nothing to do with Deckard. I hope there's nothing to do with Rachel. Um, again, there could be events, there could be whispers, there could be, uh, you know, stories told of certain events and we see completely different people um, unconnected completely to that story and how they're living their lives either um, as a result of those things that change their lives. Um, but yeah, I don't want to see, you know, how Dr. Selene got her third doctorate and now that she knows her dad, she's super happy and now everyone's great and everyone has a birthday party and stuff like that. I want to see um, completely different stories, but that again, dwell in that ambiguity and you know, I think for what we could all use is maybe a little bit of a of a fun, happy story. I mean, hey, it's a TV series. And for me, fun always equates to Aliens. But Aliens is still a wonderful movie. It still has a lot of great themes. But that, you know, comes out as a sweet action flick also. So, you know, it's a TV series. If you want to get some viewers, let's have some sweet action. Let's have some spinners. Let's have some cool guns going off that... Blade Runners are wielding against replicants or replicants are wielding against other replicants or against other humans. But yeah, just don't answer those questions. And, you know, I, I just plead that. Yeah. Like Patrick said, you know, take a risk. You're making it for the fans. You've got at least four people who are going to watch it. So, you know, go for it. So yeah, that's sort of my final thoughts on this is just don't make sort of the same mistakes as, as filling in all the blanks. We don't want them. Well, I think if they tried to fill in all the blanks, it, it always ends up making us feel like they're not thinking that we're intelligent enough to make our own decisions or use our imaginations. So I'm hoping, I, I mean, I agree with everyone that I really, really want to steer clear of Deckard and Rachel. I think Kay's story was wrapped up beautifully in the final moments of the film. So I think that story is over. Um, kind of jumping off of what you said, Peter, I really would like to see how things kind of bubble over because we've been kind of building this tension between Blade Runners and replicants and those who control both sides. Like, where does this go from here? How can we continually have these replicants be hunted and have these Blade Runners be ordered to do something that is clearly morally difficult for them, for many of them, as we've seen to do. So like, where does that tension go? It has to be released, I think. And it would be kind of brave and bold if this series were to do that. Like, what is the extreme of this back and forth between Replicant and Blade Runner? What is this extreme between um, the back and forth between being a human being created like of other human beings or being a replicant built by human beings. So finally let's let these two worlds kind of clash together. And what is the fallout of that and how, and who wins maybe, or who doesn't win or what, what, what is lost, what happens when a world like that just can't take any more abuse. 
because it's already a pretty desolate place. We've got these big cities where everybody lives. I want to see like what happens when the dials turned up to 11, you know, because we're already at 10 with 2049. We were at nine with 2019. So like, where is it going to go from here? I want to see, I want to see some bold choices. I want to see some new characters. I agree with you, Peter. I want some spinners and cool guns. Like, let's go. <laughs> what about you, Jamie? Um, well, I have a prediction for this. I had a prediction for 2049 as well. And I, I was sort of dead on in a few of them. Um, I, I obviously, I don't think that this film is going to be about Deckard or Staline. I actually do think Rachel will be, uh, a part of it just because she was such an important key to replicant reproduction that they're not going to drop that. And with Silka Luisa being essentially the showrunner who is known for, um, her work on with shining girls on Apple and a couple other things that were really, really notable. Um, she's a really interesting writer, really adept. Uh, she has a lot going on, uh, psychologically with her work. Um, and, but I feel like this story, like I don't have any problem with like, the issue isn't ever going to be, is the show going to look good? It's going to look great. That's most shows look great these days. Um, save for maybe a few, a couple here and there. It's about being good, not looking good. And, um, Black Lotus was a big miss for them, for Alcon. Big, big miss. Uh, not only did it not look good, it also wasn't good. Um, and so, and this is a very sacred property, like, one of the most as sacred as the biblical text or some type of religious text in my opinion like i'm someone who you guys know by now like i live my life through movies everything i think about everything i do when i wake up in the morning it's all shaped by characters that i've grown up with or characters that continue to live with me whether that's ripley or rachel or Kay or bastion from the never-ending story or jen from the dark crystal those characters are always present with me so I think the most important key here is the characters. It's not the world. I think things are going to have to work out, but they have 10 episodes to fuck up. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but like, okay, two hours, you can really work that script, that two hour script for that film and make it a beautiful thing and make it a thing of art. 10 hours. That's a high goal. Now there are amazing shows out there. There are shows like stranger things. Like, uh, I mean, so many shows that we all mutually love, that just are just these chef's kiss. And it's possible that Blade Runner could be that, but that would mean that they're really going to have to work on the story and the characters. But I do think they are going to feature some characters that we know. Um, they have to, in some ways, I feel like, um, yes, we got to know Kay, but we also knew Deckard was going to be in it. Deckard was our, our, our pivot, our anchor. We saw him in the trailer. So we knew he was going to be in the movie. And, I think probably Carla Jury, I think should probably be in the film. I do. I think there, there's going to be connections. I think it's going to be a little bit more of a direct sequel. I don't think it's going to be about Deckard and, 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 uh, Staline, but I do think it's going to be 50 years on. Where is the world? What have the replicants done? What have we done to them? Have they been able to successfully, um, reproduce on their own? And is it illegal at that point? Is it, do they take the more of a Jesus story where, you know, there's a replicant on the run and she's going to have a baby? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of story there that they could tell. They just need to be careful how they tell it. And because of Black Lotus, I'm really scared, honestly. Even though there's some great talent involved in this, that show wasn't so bad. Um, with some glimmers of 
greatness um, that it just freaks me out a little bit that they don't know what they're doing. So I'll leave it there. Well, with that, I think uh, I think we can wrap. Congratulations on five years of Blade Runner 2049. And here's to a bright future. Yes. Um, before we leave, before we leave the show, I just want to put a call out to all of our listeners. If you, what do you guys think of Blade Runner 2049 five years later? We would love to hear it. If you want to send us an email, send us a, a, a like a voicemail via email, like a, a file or whatever. Send us your thoughts. We would love to hear it. We would love to ha- continue the conversation. And of course, we can do that in Fields of Kalantha, which is our Facebook group. Um, tell us what you think. And uh, we would uh, love to talk about it maybe in a future episode. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And please, if you, if you're, if you are still listening, give us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. That'd be great. Keeps our show more relevant and more popular. And so we can continue doing it. Thanks, everyone. See ya. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.